Welcome to Studio of the Future. 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 Okay. Yeah. Is that okay for you? We don't yeah. do headphones. We just do it all natural. <laughs> A good visual for people at home yeah. listening. <laughs> How do I get that Kirk Watson calendar? <laughs> um, an ugly calendar. I am so grateful you're here. Oh, I think this is neat. It, we, it is neat. You know, this has been really fun. We've interviewed a lot of fun people. Today we have Sarah Bird coming after you. I just love her. I know. What's not to say oh about God, her? She's, she's like, hilarious. Just lovely. Yeah, she is so funny. I, it, it, she just loves being. My guest today is the Honorable Texas State Senator Kirk Watson. Hello. Hello. And, um, you know, I, I think I'm just, I have a list of questions for you. But this has been a weird couple days. Has it? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you watch the news. Oh, right? I, you know, yeah. I don't pay attention to you politics don't. and stuff. Is there something going on yeah, in politics? Yeah, something to do with politics. You know, I, I'm going to hip you to it. I, I, I don't do anything related to politics. <laughs> not I, at all anymore? Uh, not, well, you know, after an election a couple of years ago, it just depresses me to watch the news anymore. Mm, yes. Of course, I'm teasing. I'm, I, I've yes, been I know you a, are. totally absorbed and, and disgusted. <sighs> It's getting worse and worse. Although I guess the worse it gets, hopefully that gives us more possibility that it will end. That something will click finally, and people will be tired of what's happening. Well, I've been I have been very disappointed in some who I I know they know better uh, that have been willing to support uh, the president when he has he has done things that that changed the entire culture and dynamic of our country. Uh, it was at least somewhat, and I, I mean only somewhat, gratifying that some began speaking out after his um, uh, ridiculous uh, press conference with uh, the president of Russia. Mm -hmm. So my hope is that you can only take so much of someone uh, abusing the country the way he has, mm -hmm. and people will start putting the country before the party. Well, I was reading a George Will article this morning, and he was talking about how President Trump sounds like someone who learned English from someone who learned English two weeks ago. You know, he, he just his mouth is a salad, and we ne we are left with trying to figure out what he just said, which makes no sense. Well, it's because he he doesn't think about what he's going to say, and he, he as, as has been pointed out, he doesn't read, so he's not aware. Uh, of some of the issues he needs to be aware of. We need our president to be aware. We need our president to want to know facts. Mm -hmm. And we need our president to be willing to stand up for the country. Mm -hmm. Yes, that was shocking. Um, and, and the Republicans that seem to be speaking up Lately, are all retiring? Correct, or I mean, well, Jeff, you, Jeff, you had Blake, some. You had Jeff, you had some, mm -hmm. at least with this latest uh, scandalous behavior. You had some that were not um, just leaving office. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's part of what prompted him to attempt to uh, tell us what he really meant when he was saying the things he was saying at the press conference, um, because because you started to see others that had been more supportive of him, mm -hmm. or at least quiet, uh, start saying that that how he had handled himself was inappropriate as president of the United States. Mm -hmm. So how is it? Here in Texas, there's a lot going on, especially at the border. How are we going to reunite all these people? And well, what's worrisome is is the difficulty they're having in reuniting. So, so in the first place, uh, the idea that the United States of America would separate children from their parents um, is is astonishing to me. It's not something I thought I would ever see, um, and and so just just the sheer fact that that's occurring is is ought to trouble us all. Uh, regardless, and 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 I, I'm troubled by those who immediately. Uh, I will tell you one of the, the the number one things that if I want to get negative comments on my Facebook page, it is to put something about the border, because the reaction that it gets is is pretty strong, uh, about people coming illegally and they ought to just stay in their country and that sort of thing. Um, set all that aside. I have difficulty with, I mean, and it's hard to set it aside. I mean, it only yeah, for no, the purposes of this discussion and this moment in this discussion. But, but, but the point is that even if you don't want anyone to ever cross that border again, 
the idea that you could be supportive if they do cross that border of separating small babies and children from their parents, I, I must admit, I have difficulty wrapping my mind around that. Um, and then the idea that we're now, that the, the, the government did uh, what appears to be such a poor job of separating children from their parents, that they're having difficulty reunifying uh, those children once they realized what a horrible mistake it was. But, but you know, we, we've in just the short time we've been talking about this, we've now talked about two incidents that, in my view, uh, this, this administration, this president, has changed the culture of our country and the way we look at ourselves, much less the way the rest of the world looks at us. Well, and what I don't understand is how... Um how suddenly all this happened, how, I mean, if, if all this, may I say, white supremacy and all the um, also, racism, uh, you know, racism has been there. It hasn't gone away. Uh, it's been cloaked. <laughs> I, uh, how is it that this one person was capable of triggering such wrath so quickly? You know, I mean. Well, obviously, there was a lot there before. Mm-hmm. Um, and. But I mean, but, during President Obama, when people were obviously being racist towards him because of the color sure. of his skin, um, it it didn't seem like so vitriolic as it is now. Like, it, well, now you have a, a president who who has allowed for people who might otherwise have stayed quiet or in the shadows to come out, mm-hmm. and I think that's the difference. Is that that there are, there have in my, in my view there is likely. Uh, very likely always been a group of people that had some of the feelings that are now being seen and heard, but they didn't feel comfortable Mm -hmm. expressing those feelings and being heard. And this is a president that has given them the license Mm -hmm. to, to say things that really um, are outside what I believe is the mainstream of our, of our country and certainly beyond what we uh, hope to be as a country. Well, I feel like it's all triggered at the same time. The fact that all this nationalist movement over in Europe is happening, and then you've got Putin over here continuing his KGB agenda, and then whatever they have on Trump. I think Trump is uh, not a smart man. He's a manipulative man and, of course, a huge narcissist. But the fact that all this is rising at the same time causes a huge amount of anxiety, not just for me, but for my children. And when we lost the election to Trump, I mean, there was such despair for six, seven months, a year into it. I, I worry watching what's happening in the world if there is, and I think there is, but enough good people to stand up to this. Because if they're not standing up in our own Congress right now with the craziness going on, I worry. Well, I've been really moved. Uh, I, I, let me say, I share deep concerns. Um, one of the key words you just used was election. And elections matter. Um, and, and, and I've been moved by the number of people I hear from and see and, and watch that have uh, taken it upon themselves to, to move to do something so that they can impact elections, mm-hmm. uh, to to react uh, to what they see in Washington and what they see at the state capitol in some instances, uh, to not just react but to act affirmatively to make sure that we talk about bringing about change. Everyone, you know, from people that are that are you know in a lot of different ways, from tweeting and marching, uh, giving, donating. Uh, walking blocks for candidates, speaking out, you know, even wearing hats Mm -hmm. um, so that they make their positions known and they encourage others to make their positions known. But as I've said before, uh, the resistance must have results. Mm -hmm. And the best results, the only results maybe that will end up mattering is if we influence elections. And of course, uh, these midterm elections mean something in terms of uh, members of Congress and the United States Senate, but even elections, you know, not just uh, not just talking about in Washington D.C., but local elections, elections 
to the to the Texas legislature, statewide elections that could have an impact, and 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 even blow that on the ballot. We have to never be complacent. Mm-hmm. And if anything that we learn from uh, what we're going through right now, uh, it ought to be that it's 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 one thing to resist, but we must not just resist. We have to act affirmatively so that we are electing people that will that will play to our better angels as opposed to those who are inciting some of the worst in people. Mm-hmm. You know, I I always hear about in America the turnout for voting is small in comparison to the amount of people that live in this country. And I always remember in South Africa when the people were standing miles deep to mm-hmm. vote um, for Nelson Mandela. And I just, what a sight that would be to see Americans lining up for hours and hours to cast their vote. I mean, people have died for us to have this right. Yeah. It's an honor to get to vote. You know, I see a lot of the youth, like my daughters are really on fire about voting and this will be our youngest daughter's first time to get to vote. Oh, that's great. So she couldn't wait to put in her voter registration card and all her friends, you know, all these kids turning 18 are super I've got a brochure here somewhere that I'll, I'll, I'll give to you so you can <laughs> take Could you sign home. it to yeah, her? Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, I see the youth really excited. I see a lot of liberals really excited. It's the people in the middle, you know, it's like my mom who's maybe on the fence, you know, and I keep gently assuaging her and trying to get her to understand that her vote does matter. But the people we don't know that we can't reach, how do we reach them? Well, there's a couple of things. One is there has to be clear communication. Um, and the, the other thing is that there has to be a message. There has to be a reason uh, given and 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 it can't just be blaming another candidate. Th- that's exactly right. Yeah. And, and and it also has to be a willingness to to fix problems. Uh, to back to your point of you can't just blame uh, another candidate or the other side. Um, you know the the truth of the matter is, in order to get things done, we have to work with lots of different people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to create new and different ways to hear one another. Uh, we have to, to get away from labels. I mean, you know, the, the truth about labels is once I put a label on you, then I have the ability to abdicate all responsibility to ever hear you again. Because after all, once I put the label on you, I act like I know everything there is to know about you simply because there's a label that mm-hmm. I, that I put on you. Mm-hmm. And boy, in politics, we do these labels way, way too much. We need to, 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 to show voters that it will result in being able to get things done that matter to them because we're looking for ways to hear one another. We're looking for ways to, to um, work with, with others. And we have, we have plans for how to go about doing those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, it's just yelling at each other, and I can see why some people get disgusted with that. Mm-hmm. And I think some people are nervous about going to vote. They don't believe that possibly it, it won't be rigged, you know. And and to that I say, well, uh, it's better to show up and vote and have faith in the system because I really think this is our our greatest hour of need in terms of this generation right now. Well, we, we need to make sure that we have secure voting, mm-hmm. and we also need to make sure we make it easy for people to vote. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I rail against quite frequently um, in, in Texas is I don't think we make it easy enough mm-hmm. for, for people to vote. Uh, I think we ought to have online red voter registration. Um, mm-hmm. We ought to make sure that that that, uh, that people know uh, how to, to do on We ought to have it. We ought to make it easy to do. I'm on, in fact, I'm going to have a meeting uh, in the next week with some folks to talk about. Um, it won't be online registration, but it would allow for young, for anybody, uh, but we're going to focus on young people, but it would allow people to text that they want to register to vote. Mm. And then they would get the application from the appropriate uh, voter registrar mm. office. Well, the reason I mentioned young is because in Texas, principals are supposed to uh, have they're, they're supposed to take action to to register uh, first time voters. Generally, you know, eighteen year olds or someone that's seventeen years old and ten months mm-hmm. they can register to vote. That doesn't always happen. Mm-hmm. But if you 
came up with a simple system where all that principal had to do is stand up in front of an assembly or at lunch. And mm-hmm. I've, I've actually registered kids in high schools during the lunch hours. Um, but, but all you have to do is text the word register to this number, and then they would get the appropriate information mm-hmm. uh, or application to fill out and send back. And you could also text them back to make sure that they, they fill out, you know, things like that to make it easier for people to register and then easier to vote, um, you know, including what identification they need. Yeah, I was just going to say, every time I go to vote, all I have is my driver's license, but I always take my voter ID card because I think, well, am I supposed to have this or not? And, and it's always just my driver's license. And I, I don't know how that. Well, you know, but I'll give you an example. When we were fight, when we were dealing with the voter ID bill Mm -hmm. um, and some of us were arguing that we're making it too restrictive. Mm -hmm. um, And I think we were right. I think there was a, a purposeful effort to make it too restrictive. One of the, photo IDs that was excluded from being able to be used to, to vote was student IDs. Uh, even though they may be state issued, even though they're issued, you know, by the university uh-huh. of Texas at Austin, that those student IDs, uh, were not the photo IDs that you could use to vote with. Well, that's, that is in my view, an effort to make it harder for young people to vote. We need to get past all that. Yeah. We need to get we need to we need to have full, free and easy elections. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I'm going to change the subject here for just okay. a second. I I just want to I just want to talk about how popular you are. Oh. I do. I, you <laughs> One know, of my I, favorite topics. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, everywhere I go, first of all, everywhere I go, I don't know how you do it. You must have three or four siblings that look exactly like you, but you're at every event I'm ever at. I I turn around and there you are. And, you know, so many different organizations love you. Equality Texas gave you 83%. uh, The Sierra Club gave you 100%. Mm -hmm. Planned Parenthood endorses you. You know, what is it other politicians could learn from you? What what is it that makes you so popular besides the fact that you're easygoing? First of all, I just think I've been around so long. Um, (laughs) You know, my goodness, when you, and and I go to all the stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I'll tell you, I've had a really wonderful political career. Um, first of all, it, I feel like I fell into a, remember the old Smothers Brothers? Mm-hmm. I fell, he fell into a vat of chocolate. I feel like I <laughs> fell into a vat of chocolate in that, that we ended up in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we moved to Austin in 1981 mm-hmm. for one year. I had a job that was going to, I was going to work for a federal judge for one year. Uh, Liz was on TV. We thought we'd end up back up in North Texas, which is where both uh, sets of parents were. And um, man, after about three months, we were looking at each other saying, I wonder if we could make a living in this place. So first of all, this is a town that um, has been very, very, very good to me. Um, and I've enjoyed being able to serve. Um, so I, I think it's it's just been a good good mix and a good run uh, and one that's not over yeah no you know there's so i mean when i think of people in government i think of you i think of lloyd doggett yeah. i think of beto i think of elliot neistat yeah, i think yeah. you know but let's go back a little bit um because one of the things that that is really cool is that in 1991 your career actually started am i right with governor ann richards when she appointed you to oversee and protect the air quality in Texas. Yeah, uh, my first real job in in government, if you will, was when Ann, Governor Richards, uh, appointed me chair of the agency that is a predecessor agency to what we now know as the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality. So she appointed me that to that. Uh, that was also, by the way, the year that the federal government passed amendments to the Federal Clean Air Act. So uh, it was a big busy, busy. job. Yeah. But a fun job, and of course, I got to work directly with uh, Governor Richards on all of those issues. Um, the The chair of the Water Commission and I were the chair and vice chair of the commission or committee or whatever the mm-hmm. the term that they used to consolidate those agencies. So my term, uh, I, I did all that until September one of nineteen ninety three, when the agencies merged. Uh, so yeah, that was my first job was getting to work with Ann on all that. So so you did that for a couple of years, and and that probably helped set you up for when you became mayor. Am I right? In nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, I ran for mayor in ninety seven. And you were a super popular mayor. Um, yeah. I I moved here in 
94 and i remember i i might have actually met you in 97 or 98 i don't remember but that's you about did, the right time when uh, we, that's about when right? we met it was about then yeah i don't know where we met but well, we, again, you're at all the events too, right? I mean, how, how would we know Probably where we met? Probably at the met? buffet. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, I feel, Elliot was I feel like, like, no, that's if mine. If I'm at the event, you're there too, so it just works out. Yeah. Well, uh, so you you were popular for pushing transportation improvements and implementing land preservation, and you revitalized our downtown. And I know that both Forbes and Fortune magazines named you or named Austin the best city in the U.S. Yeah. to do business, which is a big deal. And uh, you were named the best mayor in Texas for business from Texas Monthly, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so what did you enjoy about being mayor? Uh, well, first of all, the, the the great part about being mayor of Austin, and I and it translates into being state senator too. But but the there were two things that ju- when you ask that question that jump in my head. One is that um, you're so close to the people that you're serving as mayor, right? Mm-hmm. Particularly in this town. Um, there, there's, there's no space between the mayor and, and the people that the mayor is serving. And of course I loved that Mm -hmm. because you always feel, you know, there, there are moments where somebody might not be happy with you, but the truth of the matter is that, that most of the time I felt like that was just a big group hug. You're a folksy kind of guy, you know, I mean, I, in, in the best sort of way you got reelected with 84% of the yeah. vote, the highest percentage ever of a mayoral candidate, ever. Like, how did that feel to know that people love you that much? Well, it was, that was neat, but here, here's the, we got to tell the full story, right? Oh, yeah. so, so here's the full story. Yes, 84% was what I was reelected with, and that is the highest percentage. But what a lot of folks don't remember is that when I first ran in, in 97, um, there were eight of us in that race. Really? Yeah, there were eight of us in that race. Remember, uh, uh, Mayor Todd had retired. Oh yeah. He's so, nice. so it was an open, it was an open run, and um, there were eight of us. Three that people were really focused on, and what happened was uh, on election day, on Saturday election day, I had like I, I don't remember the exact number, but something like forty eight and a half percent. So I didn't have fifty percent. Mm-hmm. Um, Ronnie Reynolds came in second, and he had been on the council for six years up to that time. And um, he 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 came in second. He was below forty percent, and then you dropped you know pretty pretty far off. So we were in a runoff mm-hmm. until Monday morning, uh, the following Monday, when Ronnie very graciously said that um, he's he he was not going to run for for uh, he was not going to run in the runoff. Mm-hmm. He he was going to concede the election, which made me mayor with less than 50% of the vote. So I will never forget a few years later when I get reelected and we're all down at Threadgills and got you know, a beer in our hand and we're all talking and, and a young woman comes running up and um, she says, um, oh, Mayor, it, it, it's, it's a record. It's a record. And, of course, I, I was trying to act humble, and I said, oh, yes, it is. <laughs> off she goes. And I won't say who, but one of the people in our group leans over to me and in front of everybody says, yeah, but if you average them both together, it's not much. <laughs> so, so I, so I must remain humble with that uh, because if you know, I, I have that record. But mm-hmm. you know, I may also have the record for being elected with the lowest. I don't know. You know, we probably just ought to move on to the next topic. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, that's good. Uh, let me go ahead. Uh... No, I'm very proud of that. That was that was a nice that you know that was like I say that this town has been very nice to me, mm-hmm. and uh, I've loved being in a position to serve. Mm-hmm. You know. Robin Rather, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Don't you love her? I love I her. I do. Yeah. Well, she She's wanted me to ask for you a, long a, time. a question. She wanted to know, what have you learned about innovation in Texas during your time as an elected official? And what do you think Ann Richards would be doing about Trump? Oh, well, there would be a lot of funny things being right? said. She would be on a lot of the, the, the cable news mm-hmm. and she'd be on a lot of late night. Um, but but let's not let's be fair. Let's not be unfair in a way. Anne could, with humor, say some of the most important things that needed to be said. And so, while it would be funny, and we would all a lot of it would be funny, and we'd be doing a lot of laughing about a lot of it. Anne Richards would put this all in in clear perspective, um, and would not be afraid. Of any of it. Mm-mm. She would say it exactly the way it needed to be said. One of the great lessons of Ann Richards that I try to 
to live up to is um, uh, speak clearly, mm-hmm. talk plainly, mm-hmm. let people know. Um, there was more than once where uh, I watched her say something where probably with just a little bit of extra spin, she wouldn't, it would not have had some of the political edge to it. But her deal was let people know how you think mm-hmm. um, and, and, and let the chips fall. So I think that I, I think if Ann were here today, we would have a very strong voice uh, that would be clearly articulating some of the the very problematic issues that we're facing. Um, but she had the, the question that Robin also asked was about innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, he, here's an interesting thing. Uh, over the years, one of the things it goes back to your question about what I liked about being mayor. One of the first things that I realized when I became mayor is that uh, is that we live in a, an enormously creative place. And I'm not sure up until that point in time I'd ever had a job that really introduced me to creativity, hmm. um, where I got to actually apply some creativity. You know, I'd been a, a, a pretty creative lawyer in a courtroom, mm-hmm. uh, but no, that's, not, that's not the same. And, you know, and, and it it really was clear to me then that that um, that a lot of what I loved about Austin was that creative culture. I mean, in my view, it, it was no um, coincidence that we bragged, appropriately, I might add, that mm-hmm. um, we were and are the live music capital of the world at the very same time that we uh, are a focal point in a worldwide information, knowledge, and creative economy mm-hmm. because creativity begets creativity and innovation. And the creativity, it may not, I remember, you remember the Austin Music Network, yeah, right? Yeah. I remember the Austin Music Network uh, when I was mayor and people would, uh, a lot of people uh, would complain and, and they would ask me, how much money is, is that generating? Well, I, you couldn't tell them. Uh, they'd say, how many of the folks that are that you're showing on the Austin Music Network are getting other gigs? Well, who knows? But, but, but here's the yeah, way there I was lo- no money in it. It was sure. just but, I love it. Well, well but here's it. the way I always looked at mm-hmm. that. And what I'd always say is you wouldn't get on me if we had um, if we had an incubator for this or that technology. Mm-hmm. Why are you getting on me for having an incubator for music? Mm-hmm. Because there's, you know. When, when I got here in 81, so this goes back to the innovation and creativity. When I got here in 81, Liz was doing, uh, she was reading the weekend news. She was a weekend news anchor. Huh. And um, and so what almost always happened every every Saturday is about 9 o'clock, I'd call her and I'd tell her which club I was going to be in. <laughs> and, um, and, I, and I was a real groupie. I mean, I, I knew who was playing saxophone in this group this weekend and that kind of thing. And so she would read the news at 10 o'clock and, you know, get finished at 1030. And then she'd meet me at some some club in Austin so we could listen to music. Um, and, you know, back then, you know, the, the dude playing bass guitar in that rock and roll band may have very well been an engineer with a degree from the University of Texas. Mm-hmm. Today... That 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 guy playing bass guitar may not be you know instead the engineer's working at Dell or AMD mm-hmm. or Tokyo Electron or Google or mm-hmm. Facebook or you know any number of innovative creative places, but they still want to be able to go listen to music. So I think one of the things I've learned over the years is to pay attention to where the innovation may be. Another part about that is to not be paralyzed by the fear of failure, mm-hmm. not be paralyzed by the fear of failure. Um, you know, often that innovation comes only after there's been failure. Mm-hmm. Something exactly. didn't work. You have to have. And, and that's a really great point, because uh, I hear all the time, well, I can't make art or music. I'm I'm too scared or I, I don't know how. Well, that's what musicians, artists, dancers, we all need time and space uh-huh. to fumble around and practice exactly. and learn. And we're taking that away from people because the world is going faster and faster and faster. So that kind of lazy afternoon as a kid where you would go outside and build a fort, you know, is diminishing because kids are on phones. And, and, that, and that scares me because mm-hmm. we're, 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 we, we lose that creativity, you know, and, 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 the, and the ability to learn from experimentation that may not always work. Mm-hmm. You know, um, 
the the you know the old the phrase keep Austin weird. You know what that's always meant to me is keep Austin open to a new idea uh, because you know the, the first idea, mm-hmm. the first idea when you, people first hear an idea. Many times people will think that's weird. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I'd called my dad and said, Daddy, I, I think I'm going to drop my sophomore year in college and said, I think I'm going to drop out of school because I've got this idea. What I'm going to do is I'm going to build computers and I'm going to sell them directly to people. He'd have said, son, that's the weirdest idea I've ever heard. And of course, that's Michael Dell, right? right? Mm-hmm. Or if I called him two weeks later and said, I've got I've got a different idea. What I'm going to do is I'm going to open a grocery store mm-hmm. and I'm going to sell bean sprouts and granola bars. <laughs> and become Whole Foods. Yeah, he had uh-huh. said that's a weirder idea. So, so in Austin, the idea that you can have a weird idea, and and people will give you the room to have that weird idea and experiment, and maybe not even succeed, is part of innovation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things. And and then I'd say one other thing I've learned about that is that you can't fear, you can't be paralyzed by the fear that a better idea might come along. You know, so often what we do, and we do a lot of this, uh, you know, in government, is somebody won't move on something for fear that next week or a year from now, uh, somebody might come in and say, well, you know what we should have done is X. And everybody Mm -hmm. go, oh, or some people go, oh, that would have been a better result. What that does is it stagnates. Mm -hmm. I mean, part of the reason, in my view, downtown part of the reason, you know, we didn't have a city hall, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that that city hall we're in was started when I was mayor. Part of the reason was I think people were fearful that if they started on something, a better deal might come along. Uh-huh. And so land that the city had bought in the mid-70s with the idea that they were going to build a city hall on it, they didn't build a city hall. I was elected in 97, and they were, we were still meeting in what they called the temporary council chambers. Uh-huh. You know, only in Austin with something 30 years old, you know, 20 years old, be called a, a temporary. Uh-huh. But my point being, the fear that a better deal might come along or a better idea stifles innovation. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, in, in response to Robin's question, I think mm-hmm. that's also one of the things I've learned. Uh, well, that was I'm, a very long answer to a very simple question. <laughs> but I'm you sorry, know what, but I filibustered that dad gun <laughs> question. Well, you know, um, that's good because Wendy Davis is coming in next. No, um, <laughs> so uh, I have another question for okay. you. Um, and this is from Claire Milam, and she was wondering uh, about a woman that has inspired you. And we've already talked about Ann Richards, but maybe as you were growing up or uh, someone in your life, not particularly in politics is there well you know we, we have talked about ann and, and we'd have to we'd have to put her clearly I mean, on she's that at the list. top yeah right. sure yeah. but I, I will tell you and this this um may sound a little trite but my mother uh played a big role in in who i am and the way i see the world um uh my mother was uh, grew up on a farm in northwest oklahoma mm-hmm. uh she wanted off that farm badly and so she went to nursing school and um, uh, in Oklahoma City and um, became a nurse, uh, became a registered nurse. And while I was a kid growing up, she worked primarily in a children's hospital. Mm. In fact, um, nepotism laws not being what they should be, <laughs> um, I got to work as an orderly. I was a very high-class orderly in, in the wow. children's hospital. Actually, they, I got away with doing more than I probably mm-hmm. should have. And all of her friends, you know, I, now keep in mind, I was the smart-mouth son of Billy Faye Watson. So all of her friends, the nurses, they looked for nasty, horrible <laughs> things for me to do. I got to do, <laughs> you know, that's a whole different podcast. But, um, but, but here's, here's the point. I remember two things um, that, that jump out when you ask that question about my mother. That her working in that children's hospital, she worked. She was. The, she ended up being the head nurse of a surgical floor. She didn't work in surgery, but she worked on the floor when the kids would come in and then go to surgery, and then when they come out of surgery. And I, I have as vivid, I have vivid, vivid memories of her working with those children, and. A, a, a one in one memory in particular of uh, me looking for her. I was trying. I probably needed money, and I was going around the floor trying to find her. And I stopped at the door, and my mother was in there with two parents, sick kid, just had some sort of surgery, and watching my mother talk to those young parents of that child, 
and realizing she was something special, right? That that that, that she was doing something that that touched lives. And I mean, I followed her around a lot. Um, I can remember lots of smells and lots of um, lots of, of elderly people. Um, but I was with my mother, and I remember again the way she the the way she touched people. Mm-hmm. And so, if you ask about the role, and she was strong as mm-hmm. she could be, mm-hmm. she she died at sixty two years old. Oh. She was diagnosed when she was forty one with cancer, and her rule of life became this. Gives you some idea of her strength. Her rule of life became keep me alive six months. Because who knows what I'll see and who knows what they'll invent that'll keep me alive another six uh, months. And she made it from 41 to 62. She was, by the time she died, she was a chronic cancer patient. But the day she ended up in the hospital and never left, she got on that dadgum exercise bike and was on it for about five minutes before she did her in because her deal was, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to fight until there's no fight. Mm-hmm. You know, influence. everybody's mom has an influence on uh-huh. them, but uh, Billy Faye Watson had a big one on me. Wow, she sounds like an after-school movie. With that <laughs> she, great well, name she too. <laughs> like I'm getting weepy listening to this, <laughs> and uh, I didn't even meet her. But what a what a great storyteller you are! Well, thank you. So going back to Wendy Davis for a second, I was yeah. joking earlier, but that was in 2013 when the two of you averted the passage of SB5. Uh, the bill that would have enacted severe abortion restrictions in Texas. That was the that was the filibuster. Mm-hmm. The, what people know think of as the filibuster. Yeah, and um, she wore her pink sneakers. Yeah. She did. Why is it? Do you think Texas and just the country as a whole? Why are they so embedded in controlling a woman's right to choose? Why can't women just make their own mind up and be left alone? You know, uh, if I had a good answer to that. Um, my goodness, uh, maybe I'd solve all these problems. I, I am confused by the unwillingness of people to recognize a woman's right to make decisions about her own body. Um, and you talk about creative and innovative. They come up with something new every session, several things sometimes mm-hmm. new every session to, to um, restrict women's rights to make decisions that ought to be their decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were just talking about my mom. The idea that you would tell her what she ought to do with her body and and make decisions for her, again, I do not understand, but I will say this. Again, we were talking about it earlier. Elections have consequences. And I think that we cannot take for granted, particularly with what's just happened in the past couple of weeks Mm -hmm. with the nomination of a a, a new Supreme Court justice. Mm -hmm. I worry that with that nomination and with decisions that that can be made by the United States Supreme Court, that we are – that the fight – um, I don't want to say it's just begun, but we need we're going to need to shift this into another gear. Yeah, and and these elections matter, and we're going to have to. When you go back earlier to the, the part of the questions we were part of the things we were talking about is when when you want to make sure people see a motivation for mm-hmm. why they ought to vote. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a clear motivation for why people ought to vote, mm-hmm. um, and and reproductive freedom, reproductive rights. Is, is a reason for people to to resist what's going on, but again, to affirmatively go out and, and recruit people that, that will vote in a way that will make a difference in that regard. Mm-hmm. You can go to the doctor for anything and nobody nobody minds your business. And this one thing, which which I can understand why it's contentious, but the decision's already been made. We have Roe v. Wade. Can we just focus on education? Can we focus on the border? Can we focus on whatever it other issues that are burning well, right now. How about this? I mean, let's focus just on reproductive systems for a minute if you want to. Mm-hmm. And and that is the only sure way to prevent an abortion is to prevent an unplanned pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And yet we don't do the things we ought to do in this state to ensure contraception, to ensure uh, sex education. Sex education. Mm-hmm. So, so what we ought to be doing 
is finding the, the area of common ground. Mm-hmm. And that is, let's make sure that we're providing sex education, so, you know, appropriate science-based sex education, and let's make medically accurate sex education, and let us make sure that we're making available to people contraception that they that they, mm-hmm. they might need and want, including those who may not have the ability to afford it the mm-hmm. way others do. Um, and that's a way, that's a way to let people have their points of view, but at the same time, um, not restrict somebody else's point of view. And I agree wholeheartedly. And I think you said a word in there, science, you know. Well, yeah. So people get mixed up between science and faith, and you can have both. Or you Absolutely. can you can have no faith, but science isn't isn't mythical. Science is factual. So I think that's a hot, hot button for some people when you say we're going to have a scientific-based edu- sex education, which is perfectly fine and fundamental, but I'm not sure why people are, uh, are threatened by that. Well, our teen pregnancy rates are, uh, in Texas are uh, very, very high. We're, we're, you know, very high in terms of the top few states in the mm-hmm. nation, and we're very, very high in terms of second pregnancies oh, in teenagers. And so there are things that we can do yeah. that um, that we ought to all be doing uh, as opposed to trying to restrict a woman's right to, to make decisions about her body. I went to an afternoon program at a high school here in Austin for teenage moms, and all the young ladies came in. Uh, the babies were being watched by grandmothers and volunteers at the school. And it was a nice program so these girls could continue their education and their children are cared for. And of the 13 girls that came in and I sang some songs, we did some interactive stuff, there was only one young man that came. Mm. And to me, part of that education is also not just educating girls and not just educating boys, but that conversation about sexuality between the genders. How important that is to respect your bodies and your space and and to be able to talk about sex without it being a, this giddy goofy subject because i just really hurt my heart that there was only one father well, that you, know, you, you raise an interesting um point one of the things i'm most proud of from last legislative session is i passed uh, a lot of of legislation re- that was signed by the governor that was related to uh sexual assault on college campuses and um uh there, I spent a lot of time on this and, and care deeply about it. And, and, and one of the things is that we need to have better conversations. You know, I'm, a, I'm worried that in this day and age, too many of our young people are learning about sex and sexual intimacy from pornography, mm-hmm. which is, is not— It's not it's intimacy. Not, it's, not, it's, it's, not, it's not the way we want people to learn. And so—, so, so Part of what then becomes an issue is when you start talking about things like consent and what is consent and, and, and how consent is conveyed, um, it, get, it gets all fouled up in people's minds. One of the things that I was not successful on, but I'm going to go back with this, is I wanted the sexual assault policies on college campuses to require um, what what's referred to as affirmative consent. Because I believe that that um, no means no, but the absence of yes also means no, and and how we go about making sure that there's consent and that consent can be withdrawn, uh, and that consent for one thing doesn't mean consent for another. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole lot to that. Um, I, I will be bringing that back, although I had great success. But it gets back to your point. We need to create more opportunities for boys and for everybody Mm -hmm. to be engaged in this conversation. And I I think and I hope and I I see in some ways how the Me Too movement has brought that about. I agree. That is is a, uh, in my view, the Me Too movement is a a major change in the way we're talking about. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't change what we've always known is right. And that is appropriate consent. But the good news is it's changed how open people are now talking about it. Uh, We've always required consent. Mm -hmm. 
and now let's 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 t- we're able to talk about it more and 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 I think that's going to be a very important I think it's a huge sociological change. Oh, I do too. That, that's going to make a big positive difference. Yes, I, you can already sense and see the result being empowerment. Yes, and not just for young women, but men too, and in the whole LGBTQ community. I mean, for people, you know, I've seen so many transgender people come out and say I was assaulted uh, more so than before the Me Too movement, and I, I. I'm grateful for this voice because a lot of the shame that's associated with being an assault survivor is um, you don't really know who to talk to. Mm-hmm. And you end up, uh, at least in my case, uh, feeling like I did something wrong, even if it's very subtle inside of yourself. So, uh, and I was talking about sexual assault before me before, too. But, I know you were. But it's it's great to have this whole choir. I agree. You, you know, know? But, but, but I'm grateful, to use the word grateful the way you did, I'm grateful for you and others that have made it part of who you are to let people know because that empowers everyone that that empowers empowers those like that that are going to be that are survivors of sexual assault but it empowers those who want to help with it mm-hmm. yes well. for people for people that uh, feel awkward when someone says i was assaulted I was raped. Um, I'm an incest survivor. It gives people uh, the ability to react yes, and, and, and be, be empathetic o- yes. in a way that um, when when it's not talked about, yes. you, you don't see. Yes, and and you know that's a, that's a very very important part. Um, you know how many times have you heard people say, "I didn't know what to say or do," and it's okay not to know what to say or do. To say, "I don't know what to do right now, but I'm here for you." Uh, I mean, that's just the biggest words you can say to somebody. So I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm going to work this through with you, and and I'm just your emotional support. That's but see, it. So, well, you <laughs> saying that uh-huh. empowers everyone, all, all everyone and all of us in a way that's very important. Thank you for. Sure. Again, being such an open, folksy guy that I can talk to you so easily. Um, so recently I was reading about how you honored Wooten Barbershop. Yeah. <laughs> and which is one of the oldest businesses over on the drag but across from University of Texas. You're bringing this up because you think I need a haircut, aren't you? No, yeah. actually, when you walked up, I, I was going to say, I like how long your hair yeah, yeah. is. I don't well, think I Well, I need I to like get it. back to Wooten. <laughs> You're a shaggy, folksy guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, and you gave you gave the Wooten Barbershop a Senate proclamation, yeah. and then you got your haircut from, them, from uh, the owner, James Nelson. Um, can you tell people listening some other um, wonderful older businesses that you frequent here that you think they'd enjoy, they might not know well, about? Well, one of my favorites, and, and I'm always surprised that people don't know about this, is is Julio's um, Restaurant. I love Julio's. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Julio's, it's, it's what, uh, 43rd in Duval. Mm-hmm. That chicken is so good. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, in fact, I remember when I was mayor, John Kelso, you know, the, the, uh, yeah. the comedy writer for The Statesman, uh, Kel, some guy on death row had... Um, for his last meal, he had ordered some ridiculous amount of food. You know, you know, a steak, uh, also a hamburger, some sort gallons of gallons you know, and gallons of ice cream. Yeah, yeah, yeah the ice cream. The, and 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 everybody was in an uproar. I say everybody. A lot of people were in an uproar about you know we shouldn't have to pay for all that that food. So Kelso decides to write a column, um, and his column is what would certain people you know that had a little bit of notoriety in town, what would they eat if it was their last meal. <laughs> And he called, I'll never forget, he called me and he said, um, he said, what would you eat? And I said, well, Kelso, I know exactly what I would eat as my last meal before I went to an execution because I treat every Thursday city council meeting as though I'm going (laughs) to to the chair. And and so I would eat a Julio's, from Julio's, a chicken taco plate with an extra chicken taco Cut the tomatoes. Give me avocado. Um, now, now their chicken taco plate has the two. Uh, uh-huh. You don't have to order a, a uh-huh. second one. But um, Julio's, you know, I remember when Julio's was on West Lynn, and it was just a tiny sliver of a of a, a place. And then they moved over here. Uh, I, mean, I don't even remember. Well, that how corner many years location ago. is great. Oh, it's unbelievable. Because you can go around and get a little cookie. Yeah, at Quacks, well, and that it, that would be someplace else to mm-hmm. mention. Is, mm-hmm. is Quacks is one of our iconic um, 
And 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 if you're Hand able to decorated. go in, if you're oh. able to go into Quacks and get a one little cookie, I, I mean, my head is off to yeah. you. Yeah. Well, that was a good well, little run around. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. Thank you. I, well, I was <laughs> going to make you a fuzzy navel, and I forgot. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you were. It's fuzzy navel Wednesday here You'll with us at in. Studio of the Future. <laughs> do me in. Um, okay, so um, there is. Uh, I'm going to do two more questions. Uh, well, one it will be fun. One's a question from you, actually, at the end. Uh, but I noticed that your favorite movies are three of my favorite movies, Big Lebowski, Raising Arizona, and Galaxy Quest. Yeah. When I read that you love Galaxy Quest, I couldn't believe it because that movie is so funny. I have laughed. I remember the first time I saw Galaxy Quest, we were on an airplane. <laughs> and we were, it was a coming back from someplace. We were, it was an international flight. Mm-hmm. And I had kind of run out of things to read. And, and Galaxy Quest, just seeing the name of it is not one <laughs> that I would normally buy. Yeah, it right? sounds super cheesy. But at three o'clock in the morning when you got nothing to do mm-hmm. and you're, you know, 30,000 feet over the ocean and wide awake. And I, I remember watching it and, and immediately having to go tell Liz, You've got to watch this. So it's become kind of a family movie oh, now. Yeah. The kids love it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. If you, it's, Galaxy it's, Quest needs to be seen at least once a year and probably more than that just to keep, you know, particularly in these in these political times, just to keep the appropriate equilibrium. Yes. For some really. <laughs> well, we have this little tradition we've started here. We ask our guest to ask a question of someone else they would like to hear on the podcast. And it can be anybody you want. Well, you know, you mentioned Robin earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, And, of course, her dad is just one of my uh, all-time favorite people. In fact, a real lucky moment, um, uh, we were on a Southwest Airlines. Wait, who's her dad? uh, What's his his name? name? What's his name? He used to be in the news. Dan Rather. Dan Dan Rather. If you like music Mm -hmm. and you're not watching it on Access TV, you're doing yourself a disservice. Mm -hmm. But... My question for him, uh, since I get to ask a question, that's wonderful that you do that. From his perspective and with his history, watching what he's watching in Washington, D.C., what is his advice about how we ought to be reacting to this? Mm. Because he's a pretty sage guy. Yeah. I'm giving you a moment of reverence because that was a really good question. (laughs) Good. Okay, well, I will make your wish come true. Please. Yeah, and I'll let you know when that one airs, too. Good. Thank you. Yeah, thank no, you. Great to see you. Thanks you for all you do. Oh, thanks. Thanks for tuning in to Studio of the Future. I'm your host, Sarah Hickman. Our guest today was Senator Kirk Watson. You can hear and see bonus content at studiofthefuture.org. Thanks to Marty Lester for engineering, mixing, and editing at Everywhere Audio in Austin, Texas. Until next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Bye-bye.